Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Church, where we believe faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all humanity. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and along with our Director of Music, Dr. Julia Brown, and our cantor, Bill Potts, we are happy to be with you leading worship this morning. Today marks the third week in our summer series titled Voices and Vision, and we are honored to have Kent Dodson with us today. I've known Kent for about 30 years, which means we met when we were very young, (laughs) right? Our families have been connected for many, many years, and it's a joy and a privilege to have Kent with us today. Some of you have been part of groups at Mayflower where we have talked about exploring a possible trip to Israel with Kent. So it'll be fun to revisit that when it is safe and appropriate to do so. In addition to facilitating these trips, Kent writes, teaches, is a podcaster, and leads retreats. So thanks, Kent, for being with us this morning. Also, many thanks to Pat McGuire over in the corner there who makes our worship services available to those of you online. Whether you're out there somewhere in the world, watching or here with us live in the sanctuary, we are so happy to be together worshiping God. A special announcement for families. This week we have a nursery. Woohoo! Please bring your little ones this summer and know that we have several options for them during our worship services. And for those of you here in person, if you would please find the Friendship Register if you're on the aisle and pass that down the pew to those worshiping with you. For a word about today's music, I would love to welcome Dr. Julia Brown. It's so good to be back here after about two weeks away on vacation, where I spent most of it in 102 to 105 degrees. So it's great to be back in this kind of weather and to be here with all of you. Um, with Bill Potts singing here today, his offertory, uh, he picked a familiar text, a text that is hundreds of years old. If it was, in fact, written by St. Francis, it's almost a thousand years old. And it's a text that speaks to us still today in a world that feels so divisive and increasingly dark. These are words of comfort And these are words of hope. And who knows what the sermon holds with the apocalypse. That was kind of a scary theme to pick music for. So hope and comfort to all. Thank you, Julia. A few calendar notes for you. If you are planning on attending Jackie Sawyer's funeral, it will be here in the sanctuary today at 1.30. And next week is July 4th, and you might be wondering, what happened to our flags? We're so grateful for Terry and Carol Zeilman, who noticed that our flags needed a little bit of attention. So they are being restored and repaired, and we'll be back soon. Next week is also the one-year anniversary of the passing of Thora White. Many of you knew and loved Thora, and since there was not an option of a memorial service at the height of covid In next week's service, we will be incorporating some of her favorite scripture and songs, um, and uh, those were part of her wishes for memorial service. So that will be next week. And now, let us begin our time of worship with our call to worship, which is from Daniel 7. The Son of Man comes with the clouds of heaven. He is led into the presence of the Ancient of Days. He was given authority, glory, and power. All nations and people worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting one, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. So come, let us worship.
And now please join me for the opening prayer, which is responsive. Holy Lord, you have given us a revelation. Help us to hear it. You have given us a vision. Help us to see it. You have made us a promise. Help us to accept it. May we be a people changed by your love. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Revelations, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and verses 12 through 16. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and keep what is written, for time is near. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in long robe with golden sash across his chest. His head and hair were white, white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished with bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining with full force. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God.
Morning, everybody. It's lovely to be here. I, um, I so appreciate buildings like this. I mean, I know people say um, the church is the people, and, uh, you know, I agree. Another part of me says yes, but there's something about um, architecture and the sacred that are in conversation. And, and, and same with the organ. I mean, to, to feel the power of such a thing, um, there are few sort of pop concerts that can compare. <laughs> so it is, I think these are really important traditions to be in conversation with, and they, they lift us up in that sense, like, like the um, arches of these particular windows. So anyway, I'm glad to be here. I don't often get a chance to speak in places like this. A lot of my teaching has been in evangelical churches or other places where 15 minutes is something like an introduction. So I will, <laughs> I'll do my best. I have my watch here. I'll do my best to keep, uh, keep on track here. Um, and I've never stood in an octagon. I did count it. Um, and although I, I do know something, I, I went to school in Israel and studied a bunch of different things, um, some of it being archaeology. And um, the Byzantine churches were all in the shape of octagons. So there is something um, mysterious and um, uh, sacred that's trying to be communicated just in, in the way we try to hold space. So, um, okay, I want to ask you a question this morning. <laughs> I'm going to ask for a show of hands, but I don't really know if you're used to that sort of thing, so just go with it, or you can just say, I'm not raising my hand. Um, how many of you are a little bit uncomfortable with the book of Revelation? <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> if that didn't work, I was going to say, um, if I were to tell you next Tuesday, Jesus is going to fly down from the sky on a horse, and I know this for sure, if you would be uncomfortable. So it's a difficult, it's a difficult book to approach, largely because it's been so um, misunderstood. And I'm not going to clear all that up in 15 minutes, but it's been misunderstood, particularly in the modern era, where um, our understanding of literature has waned. <laughs> We expect um, even literature to be like a science textbook of some sort that tells us exactly in a calculated way what's going to happen in the future. That's how most people view books like uh, Revelation. But that's not really what it is, in my view. Um, and it's also, um, yeah, it's... It, uh, it, it's, um, it has this kind of symbolic depth to it that is missed when everything is read so literally. So we can argue about this, you know, as people have been doing for hundreds of years. I'm not so much interested in that, uh, in, in the argument today of, of how to hold it, but I want to kind of approach it in a couple different ways. And I hope, um, I hope you'll find some resonance in, in what I'm saying. Ruth said the, the title of the series was Voices and Visions, and I just thought to myself, well, you can't possibly talk about voices and visions without talking about the book of Revelation. It is a vision, and it is a voice. It's someone's voice. It's uh, probably the disciple John, although there's a little bit of scholarly debate about that. doesn't matter, um, but it's someone's voice, and it is certainly a vision, and um, I, I might also add, why would we need vision? Why would we need vision? Well, just look around us. <laughs> look at our world. Look at where things are going. It doesn't even matter what your political perspective is. Uh, a lack of vision seems pretty evident. About the biggest vision we can have right now is economic growth. Really. And I'm not against, you know, I'm not against economic growth. I'm just saying that's as big of a vision as we have. Just more. Or... When it comes to being successful, the biggest vision we can have is more, <laughs> more stuff. If I could only have more. Well, we all know that that's, you know, the same thing a little kid wants for Christmas, just more toys. So I, I probably don't have to tell you it's a small vision. And what I'd like to at least suggest from the beginning of the book of Revelation is that this is a big vision. It's a cosmic vision, you could even say. It's like peeling back the curtain of what's really true. 
and speaking about that and talking about that and allowing that to wash over one. In, in fact, I see the book of Revelation as, as, a, as a kind of confrontation. It's sort of saying, so you think you know what's true. So you think you know how the universe works. So you think you know something about the cosmos. So you've watched the History Channel, you know, and it's, it just peels back the curtain a little bit and speaks in very unusual words and language. And some of that I'll, I'll try to explain. I told you. I haven't even gotten through my own introduction here, so let me look and see what I planned on saying. Um, Okay, the first thing I want to suggest today is that there are three sort of chords, like of a braid, that you might need to approach the book of Revelation. I think you could say this is probably true of all scripture, all texts in general, and I'll try to keep them... Uh, Very simple. You need a story. The first thread or cord that is worth naming is story. I mean, how many sermons, probably not here, of course, are just verses with no story? You know, you've probably heard a sermon or two like that. So it's always a good question. What's the story? Even when Paul is, you know, going on and on about something, what's the story? What's going on? What's the story being told? The second chord has something to do with context. And I spent most of my young adult life studying context. And it's a fascinating and interesting and illuminating way of approaching the text. As you know, it's not written in English. So you need to know a little bit of the context. What's the language here? What's the world in which it came from? But the third chord is what I like to call the symbolic. And the symbolic is where the depth is. The symbolic is where the power is. The symbol has no bottom. You can't actually explain it. It resonates the way an organ resonates as soon as it stops playing. You can still feel it moving through the air. That's what a symbol is. And the book of Revelation is filled with symbols. An interesting example, Ruth brought up the flags. The flag is a symbol, correct? Its meaning is in something other than, well, it's a piece of fabric and it's stitched in a certain way. And, you know, I could explain it to you how it was stitched. And I could even explain what each of the stars mean and this kind of thing. But somehow the power of it is larger than just the surface of it or something like the cross, We have been facing, as we turned around and looked at the cross for whatever that was, the, um, thank you. Um, Why do we do that? Because the symbol has power. It has no bottom. It cannot be fully explained. We simply expose ourselves to it. And that's why we're still doing it after 2,000 years. You'd think after a while, people would get tired of it. Some people are, I suppose, but it's... It's um, so I hope you get the the sense of where I'm coming from with symbol. And that's important to say, because what I'd like to pick up on in just a second is this vision of the son of man. And I like to suggest it's something like a symbol. It it pierces the veil of what we think is true. And if we expose ourselves to the qualities of it, it can wash over us and potentially change us. And confront us. I know people, um, it's kind of very common right now to make religion very friendly. Like, hey, you know, Jesus is your buddy and he just wants to have coffee with you. And, you know, read the book of Revelation. Where's the buddy? You know, I'm, I, the same author, by the way, said, John, that God is love. And, and in him there is no darkness at all. The same author writes the book of Revelation, where in this opening chapter, which we just read about, the Son of Man's eyes are blazing like fire. Do you feel like the paradoxical tension? And Jesus enters the scene in the book of Revelation much more like a judge than a buddy. And I would say, well, which is it? Well, the answer is something like yes. <laughs> There's something about the tension. And you know this too. If you've ever been in a long-term relationship and said, I love this person, 
you also expose yourself to judgment. Wouldn't you agree? Just to be in love is to be also confronted. And so there's a little bit of this dynamic. That's why people aren't going on and on about the book of Revelation. You know, they're, unless they're really obsessed with sort of end times theology, that kind of thing. Okay. How many minutes have I used? All right, now I'm going to get to the, my, my content here. <laughs> um, before I read just two little sections here and make a couple very brief comments, I want to talk a little bit about epistemology. And I don't mean this in any, any fancy way. Epistemology is just how we come to know something. How do we come to know things? And Carl Jung said, and I think this is fitting, that there are four windows of knowing. Four windows of knowing. Thinking. Feeling. Sensing. And imagination. Or he said intuition. I'm going to just tweak it a bit and broaden it and say imagination. So thinking. Feeling. Sensing. And imagination. Four windows of knowing. And we could say all four windows are needed. By the way, just hang out with with kids for a while, and you'll see the other three windows are used more often than thinking, meaning feeling, sensing, and definitely imagination. But for some reason, as we grow up, especially in Western culture, we prioritize thinking. That's how we come to know. I know because I thought this thing. And it diminishes the other three. But that's a very post-enlightenment way of looking at the world. The, the author of the book of Revelation is in contact with the fourth window of knowing, meaning imagination. Could you have cooked this up? I mean, talk about a wild, active imagination. And also you could say, um, I don't want to get into a whole conversation about the, about, the, about the unconscious, but one of the things that seems to be happening is this, is the author is in contact with the deep symbols of the unconscious. Many of the images that appear in Revelation appear in Ezekiel, other books, Jeremiah. Um, but you could say they're even older than that. These are uh, the, the deep images of the psyche. And he's exposing himself to that. And it's flowing through him. And he's speaking in these kind of ancient and symbolic ways. Now you think, well, I'm not really like that. Well, we'd have to consult your dreams to see if that was really the case. See, the funny thing about being a nice rational, sophisticated, educated person is that you go to sleep every night and you have dreams that are not rational, not sophisticated, not educated. It's all there. Your imagination is there. And I think one of the things that is is needed in the world of religion and spirituality and church is a greater imagination. That's just my bias. We need an imagination. I know yours works because try this just for one second. Uh, look up at the ceiling, just just for briefly, just look up at the ceiling. Now imagine it's crawling with creatures. <laughs> no, let me ask you, did it work? It probably did. Some of you were like, this guy is insane, what is he talking about? But those of you who just went with it, you can't even predict what's going to come out. If we were to say, well, I imagine this and I imagine that, I imagine. It's a way of coming to know yourself. And it's a way of coming to know what's real. My emphasis here is that John is open to the imagination. Okay. Here are the two things I want to read and speak about only briefly. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos... Because of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. That's a very interesting sentence. He's on an island. He seems to be by himself. And he's um, doing something like a searching spiritual inventory, to borrow from the 12 steppers. And he's speaking from this desert-like place. Now, if you're familiar with other prophets or, or prophetic figures, they all have something like this in their storyline. They go away for a time and open themselves up to the divine, to the spirit, to the wind, 
to the mystery, to the desert, like Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights. How do you think he ever got busy doing anything? So there's this kind of withdrawal and return that's happening with John. One of the things we could ask ourselves just collectively is, if we need more vision, who of us is going to go to the island of Patmos? Really? I mean, especially right now. Have you noticed that you can't even watch the news a news story without being told at the bottom of the screen that there are other news items. Now, when does that ever stop? Especially if you're addicted to your phone. I'm certainly not addicted to my phone. But some of you might be. No, other way around. It never stops. The relentless flood of information. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. To what? To what? That's why I think... You wouldn't have the book of Revelation if John didn't say, I have to go to the island. And ask yourself, thinking symbolically here and imaginatively, what's it like to go to the island? Who's going to the island? It's pretty easy to drown out the spirit if you want to put it that way. It's called the ticker on the bottom of the screen, you know? So that's point number one. Point number two. Oh, I'm doing good for time. All right. Point number two, listen to the vision that he has here. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. These are like menorahs or something like that. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. This is probably what's called a transliteration of the Hebrew. The son of man is a very common phrase in, in Hebrew. It's ben adam. It just literally means son of humanity. It's not actually masculine. Adam is not a, uh, doesn't mean male. It means son of humanity, something like that. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Just like on the coins of the empire, the Roman Empire, the the emperors also held seven stars in their hands. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now, what kind of vision is this? What kind of confrontation is this? What does this say about the nature of reality? What does this say about the nature of the divine? Do you see that we're quite a ways away from your buddy Jesus at this point? I mean, this figure has a sword coming out of their mouth. You know, you're not going to probably have that. Uh, Back in my day, we had these flannel graphs. Does anyone remember flannel graphs? These were like for kids and you put up little flannel, little people on on the flannel graph i don't really know how to explain it if you don't know what it is but i've never seen one where a double-edged sword is coming out of jesus's mouth and his eyes are on fire okay we'd be like oh that's a little too much for kids all right no it's a little too much period do you see how confrontive it is now one of the questions you could ask which i'm not going to answer now is what is this figure about and you have to look at the whole scope of the book By the way, I was walking in whatever this is, the atrium, and I saw on the wall in stone a line from the very end of the book of Revelation that there's a tree of life and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. It's right around the corner here. Look at it. That's whoever put that up is in conversation with what I'm talking about here. Who is this son of man? What is he up to? What is the story? Where is it going? What is it trying to confront? Okay, so I think my simple question here, because I could go through each of these things, which I'm not going to, and say, what do they symbolize? The robe, the white hair, the, the sword, the eyes, the sash, all of this, they have symbolic overtones. They have a depth there, and I won't explain them. I think, rather, I want to ask you, what would it be like to open yourself up in your own imagination to this figure? Because John says at the beginning of his book, he says, blessed are the ones who hear these words. And he also says that at the end. 
And what he, he doesn't say, blessed are the ones who explain these words. You know, blessed are the ones who tell you exactly what it means and create ni- nice, neat footnotes. He's just saying, let it wash over you. That's what I want to sort of leave you with as a kind of challenge. What is it like to be confronted by this image? Now, it doesn't mean we have to throw away kind of the Jesus of Nazareth rabbi. I'm saying it's something like a paradox. Hold the two and see what happens. See what happens to your imagination and to your feeling and to your sensing and to your thoughts. To have this kind of cosmic vision, because that's what it is. It's a cosmic vision of what's actually really true. Even better, find your own island of Patmos and open yourself up to this kind of confrontation. And see how it might shape you. See how it might change you. See what comes up for you. See what you like and what you don't like. What you resist and what you're drawn to. These are very ancient ways. This is what we might even call a kind of form of prayer. Okay. One final piece here. Which I will not answer. But if... You find yourself as a follower of Jesus and you think about one of the things that we're asked to do is to become like Christ. Well, how big is that vision? Become, maybe become like Christ, be a really nice guy or a really nice girl. That's about as far as some people's Christianity goes, honestly. Jesus was just really nice, you know, he like talk nicely to children and, you know, probably had a lamb as a pet and whittled wood with his dad, you know. That's, that's not the story that comes up out of the Gospels, first of all. And it's certainly not the vision of John. So to imitate Jesus, this is a big ask. Really, imitate what? Where are your eyes of fire? That's, where I'm, that's what I'm asking. Or your tongue that can be like a sword. How would you use that? Or your robe. Or your sash. Or your white hair. That's a vision of wisdom, by the way. We, that's what we need in the world. So, alright. Enough said. Here's how I want to end. I want to invite you, even though this might be a bit strange, but that's alright, I get a free, pa- free pass. I've never been here. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm just going to, one more time, read the image of the Son of Man here as a way of concluding our time together with the homily. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance.
with a face shining with full brilliance. It is now time for our offering. It's a blessing to give and a blessing to receive. And so as the ushers come forward, we seek to be a blessing in this community and in the world. Give us an imagination, a cosmic vision, a big picture for how we can use our gifts, tithes, offerings, and our lives to bring you glory, honor, and praise. Amen. You may be seated. As we prepare for our congregational prayer, I'm wondering if we have any prayer requests. Or any notes of praise this morning to share? I know one. I know two, actually. Here are my parents. They're celebrating their 53rd wedding anniversary tomorrow. John and Judy Schneider. Many of you know John and Judy. They're former moderators. They're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So that's cool, isn't it? Yeah. Anybody have anything they'd like to share this morning? Yes, Linda. 
Okay, I don't know if you all heard Linda. She asked for prayer for Doma, Zimbabwe, which is where Eden's Village, our global partner here, where they are located, that they're having a COVID outbreak and they are in lockdown, which, as we know, means kids don't go to school and things are shut down on many levels. Doma has had calamity after calamity, so this is another heavy, heavy thing to hit them. Anybody else? Okay, well, let's join our hearts together for our congregational prayer. Holy God, as the rain has watered the earth this week, we acknowledge that your love rains down on us abundantly. Thank you. We praise you for the opportunity to be here worshiping together. And we praise you that we have all kinds of cause for celebration. Those that are met celebrating anniversaries and birthdays, those who have new jobs, new homes, new relationships, those who are on the cusp of something new and there's all kinds of energy and vision and imagination. And Lord, we also acknowledge that being human is hard. We have struggles. We pray for those in pain. We pray this morning for Lori Wood Lyons, who's in the hospital again. We pray for your healing hand, comfort for Lori and Steve. We pray for those grieving. We had an emotional funeral yesterday. We pray for the Smith family. And we pray for the Sawyer family, who will be having their service today for Jackie. We pray for the Gordon family as they're preparing for a George's funeral in July. May you bring your supernatural, divine comfort and peace in these days. We pray for those on our prayer list. It's long. It's deep. People have been struggling for a long time. We pray for you to intervene as only you can do. And Lord, we pray for those pockets all over the world, places ravaged by COVID, Sydney, Australia in lockdown now, and places in Great Britain, all over Latin America. And this morning... We especially lift up Doma, Zimbabwe, and our friends at Eden's Village, who are caring for, in many ways, could be argued the least of these. Hundreds and hundreds of orphans who've been subjected to absolutely horrific abuse and violence. And now COVID. We don't know how to pray when we look at this kind of devastation. And we're thankful that your spirit groans and intercedes on our behalf when we don't have the words. So we pray for you to do something absolutely miraculous there. And Holy Christ, we pray to you this morning, and we thank you for the sacrifice you made for all humanity, and that your saving grace is available to us always and abundantly. And we pray for you to help us to be more like you, which we learned this morning is something quite radical. Give us eyes of fire, cosmic vision, address our limitations, help us to be healers and truth-tellers, companions, fill us with the kind of love that comes only from you. And Holy Spirit, you are a mystery, and we praise you for this. Fill this space with your presence, and fill our hearts with your power and your wisdom. Lead us to be so filled with you that others cannot help but comment. Help us lay down our egos and self-importance and teach us how to listen to the divine voice within. God, Christ, and Holy Spirit, as we give you our lives and lay our praise and petitions before you, teach us to pray. And lead us now as we pray the prayer we know Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.
And now uh, the benediction, which is the oldest benediction in the Hebrew Bible. It begins with the words, Yevarecha Adonai Yishmarecha, which means the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you peace. Peace be with you.